0: Let's imagine for a moment you just graduated from college with a veterinary degree. You are under 4.0 GPA, and now you're ready to go out and give animals a better quality of life. After all, everyone has pets, and they need tending from time to time. And your new profession affords some job security. So with your degree in hand, you jump on Indeed.com, and you start perusing all of the jobs. All of a sudden, you come across a link that says job of a lifetime, and you click it because you're intrigued. And the description says thus, learn perseverance and patience and enjoy the outdoors with a career in shepherding. Work with wild, unkempt animals all hours of the day and night. Rain, sleet, snow, hot weather. Nothing keeps you from this job that you adore. Encounter exciting daily threats from wild animals and other predators. Carry the bare minimum to protect yourself and those sheep. The job comes with a rod, a staff, and a slingshot. Minimal pay with pretty much no opportunity for advancement. No vacation or pension plan included. Apply here. Now, after reading that, you'd probably delete that sucker. But in reality, a shepherd isn't one who chooses it as a career. It chooses him. We tend to glamorize shepherds in our culture as we dress up our kids as shepherds during Christmas plays. And we see images on Instagram and all the like. But the reality is, it's anything but glamorous. Sheep are dumb animals who are skittish and really have no defense. They tend to stray and do stupid things, and the only chance sheep have is their shepherd. Their shepherd's guidance and care. They require constant care, constant discipline, constant protection, constant tending, constant grooming, and on and on it goes. Oftentimes, but not always, a shepherd in the Old Testament times were usually children. And their job was to protect the flock at all costs, because sheep were a valuable commodity in Israel. People raised sheep for wool, meat, and milk, and used their skins to make parchment to ride on. Sheep were also used as a sacrifice to remind God's people that one day Jesus would give his life to make us right with God. Children, because they weren't old enough or mature enough to handle the more physical and rigors of farm life. And there were a few tools the shepherds carried with them. First, he had a rod, and the rod was kind of a long, sturdy stick with a knob at the end of it. And sometimes the shepherd would fasten nails on the end of that knob for extra protection against wild animals or predators. The shepherd also carried a staff. It's kind of used like like a walking stick, but also used it to kind of maneuver and prod the sheep where they needed to go. Um, They also carried a sling basically a leather pouch with a string on it. They'd put a stone inside that pouch and they would sling it at the target. Now, with the many mundane hours of watching sheep, they had plenty of time to practice. Now, a shepherd's job was to protect his flock and guide them to good, healthy pastures and slow-moving water. If the grass the sheep ate was of poor quality, the sheep would become malnourished. If the water moved too quickly the sheep would actually be too afraid to drink from it. Hence, the shepherds, the shepherds saw him when David said, he leads me besides still waters. Are you starting to get the picture here? It was important for the shepherd to move his flock around to different pastures to get the best quality grass possible. Now, shepherds in Israel were generally viewed as unclean, dirty people in the community. They were kind of outcasts. They smelled like sheep, were in constant contact with the sheep. They were soiled in the sheep's manure, blood, cuts, scrapes, insects that buzzed around them. It was equivalent to maybe a, a garbage truck worker or sewage cleaner in our culture today. In Genesis forty-seven thirty-one, Joseph tactfully had to tell Pharaoh that his family were shepherds because shepherds were an abomination in the Egyptian culture. And there's other scriptural examples as well. So as you've heard me give this introduction, maybe you see yourself in this. And you and I, we're sheep. And we have a will of our own apart from our shepherd, don't we? As it says in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all but yet we have a shepherd that cares for us and gets our junk all over himself. And he's constantly caring, guiding, nourishing, feeding, disciplining, protecting, and teaching us as we walk through this path of life to greener pastures. You cannot read the scriptures without seeing God's heart for shepherds. In fact, one of the challenges in preparing this sermon It was just like drinking from a fire hose. Shepherds are all throughout the scriptures. In fact, the way that God prepares most of his leaders in the Bible, you guessed it, he sends them off to be shepherds. This was God's form of seminary. Moses was raised in the first third of his life as a well-educated Egyptian. Stephen tells us in Acts 7:22 that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Moses had a doctorate. He was smart, he was handsome, he was strong, and deep down he knew He was a Hebrew and that his people suffered injustice. And so, knowing this, he does something about it. And with confidence, God called him to deliver his people. Thinking that God called him to deliver his people right then and there, he kills an Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. But this further exacerbated the situation and he's forced to flee. Where does God send him? Where does God's hand guide him? To Midian. To Midian to meet a guy named Jethro and he becomes a shepherd. He got his first, he got his doctorate in Egypt. Then he got his BD degree in Midian, the backside of the desert. What about David? We're first introduced to David in first Samuel 16, where Samuel anoints David as King of Israel. David was a shepherd who defended sheep from lions and bears. See 1 Samuel 17, 34, and 35. And of course, this enabled him to defeat Goliath. God trained David in protecting sheep to protect his people Israel someday as king. David was already anointed king, but God forced David on the run for years from Saul. Why? To train him to be totally dependent on the Lord. In fact, God gave David a small band of what's called worthless fellows. I like the gang that David ran with. Two shepherd didn't care for them. And when it was time, God made David king to lead the nation. There's so many more examples in scripture that we don't have time to talk about. Abel, Abraham, Lot, Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, Laban, Jacob's 12 sons, including Joseph. So let's examine in this passage how God relates to these shepherds and how it will relate to you and me. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Now, the Bible here says, just for background sake, in the same region, the same region being Bethlehem, is described in the previous verses in this chapter. Now, these shepherds may or may not ever read Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, "'But you, O Bethlehem,' Ephrathah, whatever that is, uh, "'who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, "'from you shall come forth for me, "'one who is to be ruler in Israel,' who's coming forth is from old from ancient of days. This prophecy describes the exact location where Jesus was to be born. In fact, we read in Matthew 2 where Herod inquired of his spiritual advisors where Messiah was to be born. They quoted Micah two to him. Now, Bethlehem's only about a 5 or 6 mile walk from Jerusalem. Don't you think it's strange? that all they had to do was take a short walk to find if their Messiah was really there? Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. In the Lord's divine providence, he didn't put the political elite in Bethlehem to encounter Jesus, the fresh crop of seminary graduates. I'm not against seminary, by the way. He put shepherds there. You may not have a degree prowess, stature, political standing, a position or a pedigree. But know this, God has purposely placed you in the position that you are in now so that you can encounter Jesus. These sheep outside of Bethlehem were most likely the sheep owned by the priest used for sacrifices in the temple ministry. Because the shepherds who kept watch over them Would not have been able to enter into the temple to receive cleansing, they would have been considered unclean. But who were the first ones to hear about Christ's birth? It was the shepherds, the unclean ones, the outcasts. Now you may think, am I really that important? Am I doing what is really worthwhile in life? Do I really have a purpose? What is my purpose? I mean, I'm doing this thing, this job. It's mundane. It's pointless. It's like watching sheep. I'm just trying to be faithful with what God has given me. What am I doing? And yet, let me encourage you today, brothers and sisters. If you are in that position, you are the one who the Lord is after. You are the one whom the Lord wants to have an encounter with. And so what were these sheep doing? They were keeping watch over their flock by night. We could learn a few things here. We don't know if it was winter or summer, but they were working third shift. Anybody in here ever work third shift? It's brutal. It really, oh yeah, you're a nurse. Yeah, it really messes with your body clock. When I was first, uh Tara and I were first married, I worked third shift at a hotel as a bellman. And it was rough. It was rough. But they were probably sleep deprived, discouraged. And then like these shepherds, you're a good candidate for God to reveal himself to. You know, many of us in this room, we we look at our lives and we say, man, this thing that I'm doing, it just seems so small. Is this really what God wants me to do? But yet it says in Zechariah 4.10, not to despise the days of small things. That is where God does his best work in you. Pastor Chuck Smith once said, in order for God to do a work through you, he must first do a work in you. And this is where he's doing the best work in your life. When you are faithful to do the little things that he has called you to do, that pleases him. It's not the big things. It's the little things. The Lord takes great pleasure, brothers and sisters, in you putting your hand faithfully to the plow that he's given you in fact Galatians 6 9 tells us this and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up one thing to note about angels because they are in the presence of God and radiate the glory of God you never see someone in the Bible having an adverse effect when encountering a demon in fact in Acts sixteen eighteen. Paul was actually annoyed at a demon and cast it out. But then you have a prophet like Ezekiel when he encounters an angel. The Bible says that he was sick for like two weeks. It's the glory of God. And so when God gets your attention, he'll do it in a way that reveals his glory to you. That's why our culture is where it's at today. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of his holiness and power. But when God moves, man, he does so in glory. Tara and I had the benefit of growing up in the last uh, American revival called the Jesus Movement. It was not uncommon for her and I to go to church and to see 10, 15, 20 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking new people receiving Christ. God was moving powerfully. We're talking tears of repentance and joy. Our church took over an unused middle school in San Diego, which had an auditorium that seated about 500 people. And God was moving so powerfully. We went from one service to six services in six months. The word was preached. The gospel was proclaimed. The cross was lifted high. And all I remember as a freshly saved believer was the awe of the fear and the grace and love of God through Jesus. And that's what happens when you encounter God, like these shepherds. You're exposed for who you are, but you're also exposed to who He is in His love for you. Look at verse ten and through twelve. And the angel said to him, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior." who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. And you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Isn't it interesting that these shepherds had an encounter and they fear the Lord. These shepherds fear God. The guys back in Herod's palaces don't. Guys back in Herod's palace, they know the scripture, but they didn't bother to go and seek out the Lord. But yet these shepherds had a meek and a humble heart and received what the angels told them. God only reveals himself to those who truly fear him and want to learn more about him. Learn that you and I are nothing more before him than beggars. And he reveals himself to beggars. He pours out grace on the lowly, Forsaken shepherds because he's really, he's really into pouring his grace on those who are in awe of him. Well, one time, many years ago, the king of Hungary found himself depressed and unhappy. He sent for his brother. He was a good nature, but he was a little indifferent. And the king said to him, I'm a great sinner. I fear to meet God. But the prince only laughed at him. This didn't help the king's disposition any. Though he was a believer, the king had gotten a glimpse of his guilt for the way he had been living. And he seriously wanted help. So in those days, it was customary if the executioner sounded a trumpet before a man's door at any hour, it was a signal that he was to be led to his execution. It's kind of like when your dad told you to go upstairs to the bedroom and wait until he got up there. The king sent an executioner in the dead of night to sound the faithful blast at his brother's door. And the prince realized with horror what was happening. Quickly dressing, he stepped to the door and was seized by the executioner. And he was dragged pale and trembling into the king's presence. He was in agony of terror and he fell on his knees before his brother and begged to know how he had offended him. My brother answered the king, If the sight of a human executioner is so terrible to you, shall not I, having grievously offended God, fear to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ? It was a lesson that needed to be learned, but it's where grace is also found. So the angel says, listen, I didn't come to bring you bad news. I came to bring you good news. Of great joy that will be for all people, including Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> the angel announced why he came, why he was there to bring good news, and that's what the gospel is—evangel—that uh, Greek word meaning news. Good news. The gospel is a proclamation about what God has done through Christ, not what we must do for Christ. So what do these angels mean when they're announcing good news? What does that mean? What what, what do you think these shepherds were thinking when they heard that term? Well, number one, it's good news about God's gracious acceptance. We try to get richer, so we'll be accepted. We try to get thinner, so we will be accepted we try to get smarter so we'll be accepted we try to get faster and stronger and bigger so we'll be accepted we try and work harder so that we'll be accepted everything we do is so that we'll be accepted by others around us and gain a sense of justification and purpose for our existence but it always fails no matter how hard we try it will always fail so if you ask yourself I can't seem to be accepted by others around me. How in the world can God accept me for who I am? How can I please him and gain his favor? All of those ways you try and attain love and acceptance, Christ has already attained for you on your behalf through the cross. The answer is profoundly simple and simply profound. Jesus receives you and accepts you because he took all of your failed attempts and he succeeded for you on Calvary when he suffered. He removed them so that you could enter into his gracious acceptance of you. No more striving, just resting in his grace. So by faith, he accepts you into the Beloved the only your only part is receiving by faith surrendering confessing your sins before him and saying i am a loser but i know that you paid the price i receive you into my life it's news that a world it's also good news that a new world is coming oh man i mean i don't even have to begin on a social commentary level what we're experiencing now but the world around us has fallen apart. But when Jesus came, when he suffered and when he rose again, he gave us of his Holy Spirit. And now those who are truly in Christ have a taste of the kingdom of God within them now. You can feel it. You can taste it. Peter says that even though you don't see him, you love him. You're a new creation in the inner man, but Jesus won't stop there. A new world is coming. That's partially why we're beginning uh, uh, Revelation in 2023. And if we get raptured before them, I'll explain it to you on the way up. <laughs> but God is making a new world with a new humanity. Earth 2.0. He who began a good work within us will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus And he's gathering the wheat and the tares right now as we speak. The dividing line is becoming clearer and clearer. But Paul says it this way, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We tend to pay attention to life on a horizontal level way too much. We need to start paying attention to seeing life through the lens on a vertical level more and more. The good news is a new world's coming. Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit, a down payment of our salvation. And it's coming. That's good news. Thirdly, it's good news that we can live a powerful new life. Since we are new creations by his finished work on the cross... God has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live lives with purpose, peace, joy, and power. The power to live. The power enabling us to resist sin, embrace Jesus, and lead others to the same well with which we drink. There's power. And he's given it to us freely. Freely. No more do we live purposeless lives but we are now part of God's kingdom-building business with power. We get to participate with him wherever we are. Because of the gospel, we're empowered to live lives for the Lord and bring him glory. And lastly, and there's many more, but lastly, it's the good news of peace. Specifically, not that we made peace with God, but God, through Jesus, made peace with us. The cross demonstrates that God came not to make war against us. He came to make war against sin. We were the ones who were were at war with God by the way we live. But now because of Jesus, we have peace that he afforded to us. Peace that will never come by Congress, a Senate, or a new president. It only comes by the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ. The Jewish word for peace there, shalom, means much more than a truce. Shalom is wishing the well-being, the health, the prosperity, the security, the soundness and completeness. At the time, life was very trying, taxes were high, unemployment through the roof, low morale, and a foreign military state was in control. Roman law uh, dominating. Greek philosophy or Jewish religion didn't have didn't have the answers and didn't seem to solve any problems. But then God sent a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths were strips of cloth. Usually when you were on a journey, you would carry fabric with you in case someone died along the way and you would wrap them in a swaddling cloth. Jesus was wrapped in grave clothes when he was born. For the purpose of which he came. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So these this angel now appears. Now notice only one angel appeared to the shepherds with the announcement of Christ which I believe was Gabriel. That's just my own sanctified imagination. He seems to show up, Daniel 9 and Luke 1. I mean, I don't know. He seems to always show up to announce something about Jesus. But then after this pronouncement, a whole bunch of angels appear. Can you imagine how curious and interesting that must have been to them? First Peter 1.12 tells us that angels are curious onlookers to God's plan. Why? Why? Well, you see, the angels knew from the beginning of time that God was going to save humanity. They just didn't know how he was going to do it. And he gave glimpses through the law and the prophets, but really nothing concrete until now in their eyes. So now the angels are blown away that God would become flesh, a human being. Can you imagine The angels must have been standing there thinking, I wonder what it would be like to put on human skin. Now, the demons tried to do that in Genesis 6 with the Nephilim. They tried to incarnate themselves, but it failed. But yet here was the Son of God becoming one of us. And yet these angels praised him all the more. They praised God at creation, Job 38, 7. Now they praised him at the beginning of the new creation. The whole purpose was was unfolding. It was becoming a reality. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds wasted no time after this announcement. You can see the urgency that these guys had. When God speaks, never wait around, but act in faith on what he said right then and there. The shepherds probably could have rationalized this experience. They probably could have said, man, we we must be on drugs or something. We must be hallucinating. But by faith, they believed the message and they acted on it. During the American Revolution, it was reported that Colonel Rawl, commander of the British troops in Trenton, New Jersey, was playing cards when a courier brought an urgent message slating that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware River. Rawl put the letter in his pocket and didn't bother to read it until his card game was finished. Then, realizing the seriousness of the situation, he hurriedly tried to rally his men to meet the coming attack from the Continental Army. But his procrastination was his undoing. He and many of his men were killed and the rest of the regiment were captured. These shepherds didn't wait around and we must be open when the Lord speaks to us to act on it as quickly as possible. The shepherds were some distance away but he knew this couldn't wait. They knew this could not wait. This had to be acted upon so let me ask you a question how many of you here know that the Lord has spoken to you about something that you must do and he's been speaking to you about it and have you acted on this conviction out of obedience and if you haven't why are you waiting Should the shepherds put off seeing Jesus, they may have missed him. And whatever it is, don't put it off, but act in obedience. Because at the end of that, at the end of that action comes blessing. They said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Notice the shepherds acknowledge that it's the Lord made it known to them, not angels, the Lord, not angel mediaries, that God is the ultimate source of revelation. I find it interesting because I'm going to go off on a little sidetrack here, and I I just think that this is interesting. I find it interesting because the scriptures indicate that angels used to be the intermediaries of the covenants. The Jewish people held angels in the highest regards, even worshiping them. Stephen in Acts 7.53 during his sermon says this, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen indicates that the law was delivered to Moses through angels. In fact, in the first chapter of Hebrews, the author makes a case that Jesus is better than the angels. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Jesus is the better tabernacle. He's the better Melchizedek. He's the better sacrifice. Uh, He's better, he's better, he's better. The first chapter of Hebrews says he is better than the angels. He is a better mediator than the angels. And here we see who's proclaiming the gospel to these shepherds. It's angels. But what's really cool to me is in Matthew 28, during the Great Commission, who does God use as his intermediaries to bring the good news of the gospel? It's us. We've taken angels' place. Isn't that amazing? How wonderful the Lord is using us to bring his good news to a dying world What an honor and a privilege. The gospel itself is a supernatural message that has power. Verse 16, they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds found Jesus in a feed trough exactly as the angel described. Those who obey Jesus are blessed to encounter him. The more I obey him, the more I see him and experience him. The shepherds tended over the sheep that were used for that sacrifice. Now they met the great shepherd who had sacrificed himself for them. What an amazing thing to be a part of. So what do you do? What do you do once you see Emmanuel, God with us, wrapped in swaddling cloths? Is the one who came and died? Who is coming to die? You go and you tell everybody what you heard and saw. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And the And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Yeshua or Jesus, name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Mary treasures up these things in her heart. These shepherds, they go and they tell everyone. You know, it's interesting. I thought a lot about that yesterday, about how Mary pondered these things. She didn't go and just start telling everybody about her son. She thought on it. She molded over. Sometimes when the Lord has something for you and you alone, it's not for you or me to go and to just blab it all out. Sometimes the Lord says, This is for you, and I want you to just ponder on it for a while until it's time. Until it's time. And so, in closing, I want to read this passage to you out of Ezekiel. Because this is what the Lord has done with us. The great shepherd, as Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. The devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come to give them life and to give it to them abundantly. Hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that I have been scattered, that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them out into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. And in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountains. Mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd. Of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Where are you at today? Are you lost? Seems like no matter where you turn, where you've gone, You've tried changing so many things. Your job, your income, your your identity, your everything, and, and yet you're just never satisfied. You're never fulfilled. I've got good news for you today. If that's you, Jesus is waiting for you. He's there for you. He wants to save you. And he desires to have a relationship with you and give you a new heart and a new desire. He wants to make you a new creation. If that's you, receive him today. He loves you and he's waiting for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, for being our good shepherd who gave your life for us silly, stupid sheep. And you made us new. If there's anyone here that maybe the Lord is stirring your heart with every head bowed, every eye closed. Uh, Just say this prayer, but don't say it out of a mechanical sense. If if you really mean this, say it out of your heart. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And I really need you. I surrender my life to you, and I lay it down, and I receive you by faith. Come into my life, and let's fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.